Welcome back to another episode of Coach Coddle's Corner, where you get to hear some of the greatest stories from some of the greatest people in the world of lacrosse. Coach, who do we have on the podcast today? Well, we're really excited to have the opportunity to talk to one of the, the, the best people in lacrosse, one of the best coaches, and an outstanding person in Joe Bresci, the head coach at the University of North Carolina. Coach, welcome. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate you having me and uh, look forward to our conversation. So I, I've done a couple of these with with people that I really care about and like, and I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. And the first question I have for you is why UNC in 1980? Holy cow! Um, I got to tell you, it's um, it was one of those things that uh, I had a great opportunity going to a, a place like Loyola High School, and just had great coaching there and Joe McFadden. Um, and as I kind of went through the process and, and looked at different schools, I had an opportunity to meet some of the best coaches, um, around, um, in Don Zimmerman over at Johns Hopkins, the one and only Dave Cottle at Loyola college <laughs> at the time it was Loyola college. Um, and then, you know, uh, Bob Schillinglaw up at Delaware um, and just bounced around a little bit. And then I was fortunate enough to be coached by John Halls in high school. He was my defensive coordinator. And he called down to Willie Scroggs. And and um, and I, I never spoke to Coach Scroggs. It was Steve Martell was the assistant coach at the time. And he called me up and said, you want to visit? I was like, sure. Um, I, I knew nothing about North Carolina. I knew there were some Loyola guys who had gone there. But recruiting, as you know, was so different back in that, uh, that day uh, in the 80s. So I went down with Chris Baines, um, uh, Craig Hasslinger, and myself, and we drove down to uh, the Raleigh-Durham area. And I say that because we dropped Chris Baines off at Duke, and Hasslinger and I went over to um, UNC. And as soon as I Drove, as soon as we drove into into Chapel Hill up in uh, Franklin Street, we were just like blown away right away. It was like, whoa, this is incredible. <laughs> and um, we were able to tour. And again, I think I might have said hello to Willie Scroggs, um, but spent most of my <laughs> spent most of my time with uh, with the great Dave Clarman and um, you know a bunch of the players, and they were so welcoming, just like every school was. Um, uh, but I left there and I was like, holy cow, was that a dream? Um, because that place was just, it was incredible. And uh, the people were great. Uh, the pace was a little bit more my, uh, I guess, the way I would see it, which is a little bit slower, um, you know, which wasn't a bad thing. And and the team was, you know, at that time uh, was my senior year. As you know, the recruiting was seniors in high school. And that team in 86 was going and eventually won the national championship. Um, but they were such a good team watching them play. And, you know, first of all, I, I hadn't started playing lacrosse until ninth grade at Loyola. And, um, and I played baseball all the way up through eighth grade. And so for me, I was kind of looking at it like, well, if they want me, I'll go. But I don't know if I'll ever play there, <laughs> you know, just because of the talent that was there. So that kind of went into my mind a little bit, but, you know, it was really just, holy cow, it kind of blew me away. I came back and told my parents, I was like, well, if they want me and we can afford it, I would love to go to Carolina, but 
I don't know if it's going to happen. And then the only time I spoke to Willie Scroggs was when he called me up. And I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. He said, Joe, we want you to be a Tar Heel. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he had to say back then. They had That's it rolling, it. right? That's it. Uh, don't you wish you had it so easy where you could just call up once and say, oh. uh, I wish I, I want you to be a Tar Heel and get every player in the country? I know. That would be great now. I tell you, there's, there's <laughs> now like, you know, 25, 30 teams that are battling for the same kids. It's uh, high intensity um, when it comes to the recruiting end, but it's so different. And and I see Willie, the Hall of Fame coach, Willie Scroggs, often around campus at our games and so forth. We talk just about after every game and um, or he sends me his pointers, um, which was funny. Chris Walker, you remember Chris Walker, who played at sure. Carolina. Ward Melville, Carolina. He was a senior when I was a freshman. I was fortunate enough to coach his son, uh, Kevin Walker. Um, but we were talking the other day and about alumni weekend and, and a mentorship program that we have in place. And uh, and uh, he goes, oh, he goes, Bresh, I never I never put my two cents in on anything. He said, um, but, you know, what about rebounds? You know, that sort of thing. I said, man, you sound like Willie Scroggs, who I talked to. Dave Klarman, who I spoke to, and Richie Mead, who I spoke to, all of which coached me when I was at Carolina um, about we got to do X, Y, and Z at the defensive end of the field to get ourselves better as we head into ACC play. So it's uh, it's great when you have those type of mentors and and great people that that are supporting you daily. It's it's a fun it's fun to be here. So you graduate with a communications degree, is that correct? I and did. Then and then what did you do? What what were you thinking when you graduated, what you were going to do? Well, you know, it, it kind of happened all at once. I figured my summer after I graduated in 1990, um, you know, I figured I'd, I'd kind of see what was out there on the landscape. I had done some internships with sales opportunities and so forth in the Baltimore area. Um, worked for my brother-in-law, BDP International um, Import-Export Company. I worked uh, construction. I did a lot of odds and ends just to see what I really like to do. So I decided to work summer camps after that summer, take my time, kind of figure it out. My parents wanted me to get a quote unquote real job uh, now that I had a degree. Um, so I worked summer camps and and I, I think I may have worked 205 camp for, for you and Coach T and, and uh, Coach Seaman. I, I certainly did over the years, but um, I did that year as well. And then it happened that Willie Scroggs retired my senior year. Um, so in the locker room, I mean, that, you know, we, we were hammered by Syracuse, the Gate brothers. And uh, that that year, you guys were at the final four as well. And I think you're yeah, national champion. The next day. Aren't you the national yeah, champion? They hammered us the next day. Yeah, but you're the national champion because they, they yeah, took I actually, yeah. <laughs> The whole crew should get rings. Um, yep. so, you know, I, I, so Willie Scroggs retired and then, you know, I was kind of there working camps and, and Dave Plarman reached out to me and Richie Mead, who was also going for the job, reached out and said, Hey, would you want to be defensive coordinator? And I was like, uh, sure, I'll do it for a year and, and got paid $2,000 for Dave Plarman, uh, worked at the Carborough gym in the mornings from six to six to noon, delivered newspapers on the weekends. And 
I, I tell this story because it's the, it's the funniest story, and, and it's unlike any other that I can imagine. But 1991, uh, I work six hours at the Carborough Gym in the morning. I meet Dave Klarman, Chip Mayer, Robbie Russell at the Finley Golf Course at 12 noon. We play nine holes, putting together our practice plan. And then we drive over to Finley Fields for practice at three o'clock. And that was our daily routine. I don't think we ever got to the office and we just uh, made our practice plan and got out in the field and and let them go to work. And we went 16 and 0 and won the national title. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And um, decided to to stick with it for one more year and got to the final four. I think we were 16 and two and uh, lost to Princeton Coach T's uh, beginning of his run in the 90s um, uh, with Coach Metzbauer and and um, you know, lost in the semifinals and I was about to get out uh, because I couldn't afford the two thousand dollars. And and my parents are like, look, you got a degree. And but but they let me carve my own path, which was great. And um, I was fortunate we beat Brown in the quarterfinals. Um, Dom ends up leaving Brown to Virginia and Pete Lasagna calls me up and, and hires me full time, 24,000 a year. Uh, up at Brown University as a full-time assistant defensive coordinator. So that's how my journey began. What do you remember about your Brown days? Cold as heck. Um, it was, <laughs> I, I, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. It was it was really cold. This place called uh, OMAC, the Ole Margolis Athletic Center. They had a field. I don't know if you ever saw it, but they had a field on the roof. And my job and I, to this day, I tell the story about why I married my wife, Julie, where I met at Brown University. Um, she was working in the athletic department. This is how the Ivy League operates and how different it is. She was 26 years old when I met her and she was in charge of 36 sports in compliance. She was the compliance coordinator for 36 sports. She wasn't an attorney. She got her grad <laughs> degree. But now you have five, six attorneys in the compliance office. Um, so I'm up on the roof, plowing the roof. The only way you could get up there was uh, either steps or one elevator. So I would plow the roof uh, and I'm up there at 9 p.m. freezing my tail off. It's probably close to zero and I'm plowing the winds whipping around and off comes the elevator. Elevator opens. Julie comes out with a huge cup of coffee couple blueberry muffins and the rest is history we get married after that it's a win-win it's a win-win no question yeah. about it so were you, were you coaching at brown in 94 yes yeah, so that that was probably on the field the the uh the coolest you know thing was bringing brown to the final four with pete lasagna andy towers was an assistant um and myself and it was just and Jim Strube as well it was a uh it was a great experience I mean just just the run we made and and um just a lot of fun a great group of kids and and just kind of breaking history right for their program in particular and um you know it was it was funny I mean it was uh it was my first kind of experience with um an Ivy League program with these kids who have so much more that they're thinking about when i was in college it was all across and 
you know, the experience there. But these kids were like thinking, where are my, now my next job opportunities and, and internships and interviews and all those sorts of things. And, and these guys really came together at the right time. We started one and four. Um, and I remember that run where we just started winning games and the confidence just grew and, and the guys just played really well. And probably the, the highlight was, you know, playing number one Princeton. We were, I think, three and four at the time. And um, I talked to Metsy about it, who's one of my staff here all the time. He's, um, they were number one in the country. They came up and it was on my birthday. And uh, it was seven, six after three. And it ended up seven, six in the regular season. Um, and we won the uh, Ivy League title. So it was a really huge win for the program. And um, of course, we lost to them in the semifinals in 94. But just a great experience up at Brown. And you know the way things unfold. It's uh, we won a couple of Ivy titles. The rest went to to Princeton, um, but it was uh, it was a great run for us. So your first year you win the national championship as an assistant coach. The next year you go to the Final Four. You then go to Brown and take Brown to their first Final Four ever. This coaching stuff was really easy, huh? <laughs> I wish I could say that. Uh, it's. Uh, and then, and then I get kind of chopped at the knees, um, getting an opportunity to go down to, uh, you know, go through some interviews, right, and and kind of see what my next steps are. And I'm 28, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, as you know, it's it's not easy to break in as a as a head coach somewhere, and you you, you battle as an assistant, you work hard, you try to do the right things, you you try to network yourself a bit, um, and, and try to connect yourself with the right people. Um, but I remember, man, it, it was, it's like yesterday I had, and this is a pretty cool story. I don't know if you've heard it, but um, so I went through the process again. I was 28. I had Ivy League experience. I had ACC experience. And um, and I got called for an interview by Andy Noel at Cornell. Um, and I was like, great. Um, I'd love to come up. And he says, okay, um, you, you, you're scheduled for Wednesday. And I said, okay, awesome. Um, and I also spoke to Ohio State. And at the time they were interviewing six other candidates and I was the last one to come in on a Sunday. So I'm at the airport on Sunday. And, and uh, I think back then I had a pay phone, called my brother up who went to Denison. And I said, Dave, I said, I've done my research on Ohio State, know about their athletic programs or academic programs. I said, uh, I said, tell me something that 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 is different, that that I can kind of shed some light on them that I know about Ohio State that they'll, you know, appreciate. And he goes, Woody Hayes, Woody Hayes, Woody Hayes. And I was just like, what do you mean? I said, wasn't he the guy who, you know, gave the, the forearm to the in the football game and, you know, that whole thing in the bowl game against Clemson? And he goes, yeah, but he is revered at Ohio State, like they have indoor facility, they have roads named after them, all those sorts of things. So I go up there and go through the process in the morning, meet some players and some administrators, and then Bill Miles uh, takes me to lunch at the Scarlet course. Um, so we're sitting there at lunch and, and he goes, Joe, he goes, look, you've, um, you've played at the highest level, you won a national championship, you took a team to the final four, he said, you haven't failed. How are you going to do it? How are you going to handle failure when you've had so much success? And I said to him, I said, well, uh, Mr. Miles, I said, 
You know, as Woody Hayes once said, I'll lose, <laughs> I'll lose some battles, but I'm going to win the war. And he literally dropped his fork and we talked football for two hours at lunch. And it was like the best part. He coached with Woody Hayes and Tom Osborne at Nebraska. And we talked football the entire time. And to this day, I feel like I got the job because of my connection and, and conversation with Woody Hayes and Bill Miles. Um, so I flew home Monday night. I get home about 10 o'clock. I'm up hanging out with my roommates at Brown. Um, and, uh, and I get a phone call at 1130. It's Andy Geiger uh, from Ohio State. And he says, Joe, he said, we talked as a, as a group and we want to offer you the job. And I said, well, I have an interview at Cornell on Wednesday. He goes, I need to know by Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, you know, I kind of went back to the drawing board and I was like, you know, and, and I called Andy Noel at Cornell and he says, well, it's you and one other candidate. And it was my good friend and roommate in the world games when you were coaching us, uh, Dave Petromala out and when we played over in Europe um, in Manchester and uh, and it was Dave and I going for the job. And I was like, well, we're both going to be winners here because I'm going to go to Ohio State and um, and he's going to get the opportunity at Cornell. So it was a win win for everyone. And for me as a 28 year old, I had so much to learn and to get an opportunity to to start and build the program that had no scholarships and they were going to sink their teeth into building the program for a young guy like me. It couldn't have been a better setup and the size of the university. I just I just love big time athletics. And to sell that to the kids and the academic opportunities was really cool. And and then uh, then I got engaged to my lovely wife who who uh, brought me the coffee and blueberry muffins and uh, and the rest is history. This is history. Now, before I get uh, I ask you another Ohio State question behind you is a jersey. Yep. that has significant meaning to the University of North Carolina lacrosse program, but I'm not sure a lot of people nowadays know who Kevin Riker was or what happened. Right. Could you share that story with us? Yeah, there was a, uh, unfortunately, and, and Kevin was such a great player from the Annapolis area. And um, in 1995, you know, close to 30 years ago, um, you know, there was a breakout on campus with, with a guy who was, uh, who was um, is still in prison now, um, but he was uh, on campus and and unfortunately um, went around and and uh, unfortunately shot a couple people and and Kevin was one of them, um, just caught in the in the crossfire of things uh, years and years ago and and it was a very sad moment. Dave Clarman did a phenomenal job of of holding the team together and. Uh, but it was so sad for for Kevin's family, for the team, the program, um, Annapolis, St. Mary. I mean, you you name it. It was uh, it was just a very very difficult time. Uh, and Kevin was such a um, you know model citizen for the team, a leader, a uh, great student. Uh, everything that is right about Carolina, he was it. And um, for him to be um, just randomly. Uh, pulled out during this, uh, you know, random act of violence uh, across campus. Um, like I said, 30 years ago was very, very sad. And, you know, uh, so many people uh, to this day talk about it. And his, um, you know, my 
the head coach's office is is named after Kevin um, and was put together by his uh, teammates, uh, his class. Um, you know, so a really cool gesture by them and and a great way to help keep Kevin's memory alive. And you guys do perpetuate that memory. You know, yes. uh, the, the program perpetuates it. And Kevin is, we were from, you know, he was from Annapolis, as you said, St. Mary's High School. And uh, he was as an, as nice a kid as you'd ever find that played college lacrosse. Yep. And it, it, it was so unfortunate. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to change gears. You're now the head coach of the Buckeyes. Mm. What were the challenges you first faced with coaching the Buckeyes? What, what, when you got that job and you looked at it, you, this is what I have to do to make them a national program. Well, you know what was great is I had so many great mentors, including yourself, in the lacrosse world. And I talked to you. I remember those conversations with you. And you said you had you, your advice to me was you have to change. You have to change what they have and make it different. So not only did I change our attire, the helmet, the clothing, uh, I changed practice times to the morning. Um, so I've kind of flipped the switch from afternoon to morning. So that was one thing I did. I talked to Coach Tierney about scheduling. I said, he goes, you never want to schedule yourself out of a job. He said, but you want to have half of your games you think you can win and half of your games that, that would take a lot to get a victory. And when you're starting with a program without scholarships in Division One. Um, it's not an easy thing to do to, to jump right in and, and get some big wins. So you have to kind of build that confidence and, and build the team up. Um, so we kind of changed that. We talked about culture. Uh, family academics lacrosse was adopted. Um, I really feel like um, who I am is, is just a family guy. I'm a I'm a regular guy who who builds relationships with kids and, and their families and I wanted really good people as part of our culture, not coming here for the gear, but coming here to be a part of our family, to be a part of this academic institution and to play great lacrosse. Um, the best lesson I ever learned as a 28 year old, I had meetings with my guys individually um, in the fall and then again in the spring at the end of the year. And obviously would talk to them throughout the year, but I remember this young man named Toby Mink um, like it was yesterday. It was after my first year. He was a six-five defenseman out of St. Paul's, and um, we were sitting down. I said, "Well, what do you think of uh, your your first year here with me?" And um, he said, "Coach, man, we love your energy. We love your emotion. We love everything you bring to the table, but we don't know you." And I, that was a kick in the gut to me, who came from you know, Carolina for two years and Brown for five, and I was just myself. But instead, going to Division One lacrosse and being a head coach, I had almost just put the head coaching cap on, put my, hey, I'm now the head coach, Superman, boom, boom. And I wasn't who I am. And for me, that was the best lesson and the best thing anybody could have said to me was, be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else, uh, somebody you're not. And um, and there's a fine line between the the relationships and friendships and being the coach. Right. And I think I started to learn that balance there of, you know, being the guy who wears multiple hats as opposed to just the assistant for seven years. Now I have all these responsibilities. And it was a, it was a it was an awakening for me in some sense to, 
you know, be who you are, you know, don't change just because you have a different title. Um, and that's what I did. And, and I wear my emotions on the sleeve and I love the kids up a million times over and, um, life's too short to, you know, to, to, to try to be somebody you're, you're not. Um, so I loved it. I love that experience and all those things of trying to change the culture. And, and then we started with scholarships in 2000. So after I got there in 98, 2000, we started scholarships. And by 03, we were playing the University of Maryland, I believe, in the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament against you, coach. Um, and Chris Fifes, my former coach, um, at uh, at the University of Maryland College Park and and brought brought it was really cool because um, as a man up specialist genius that you are, <laughs> we had five freshmen on man up in 2000. So it was the first time we had scholarships. We had five freshmen on man up um, and I was looking for anything. Right. I was looking for any win, any anything that could say, hey, we're making a step forward and just to prove to the kids that the culture and everything was pointing in the right direction. And probably the biggest win that we had um, was when these guys were freshmen in 2000. You know, the year before um, I got to Ohio State, we lost to uh, Notre Dame by like 17. Um, and then we go up to Notre Dame my first year and lose nine to two. And then the next year, again, it was one of those games that coach wanted to play us on the week weekday. Um, because we weren't worthy of a weekend uh, <laughs> at the time. And uh, and I, I got it. You know, I get it. I get it. You got to have good games on the weekend. And um, But they came to us the following year on that Wednesday, and they had the Ulrich twins. Um, and we ran a box and two. Uh, some, some like to call it junk defense. I call it creative. And we ran a box and two defense and shut those two guys off. Um, and we won the game five to four and took uh, 24 shots for the game. And Mike Abeles, our six foot five uh, goalie, uh, must have had 17 saves. Um, no shot clock era, so we we kind of squeezed it a little bit, um, but won the game five to four, and it really put us on the map as, hey, you know what? We are making strides and moving in the right direction. And and from that moment on, that 2000 crew kind of propelled us um, to the NCAA tournament in 03 and then again in 04, um, which was really great and, and kind of put Ohio State on the map. Well, you know, Upper Arlington back then had had such a dominant program and they were going everywhere. And right. I thought that you guys made a decision that you were going to take the best players in Ohio and you were going to own the state. And if you look at some of the guys that you got over the years, you not you started owning Ohio. They didn't they didn't leave like they used to. And then you used your Baltimore relationships at Loyola and Calvert Hall to help to to become a national program. And it wound up you, you did exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah, it was great. Um, and, and and again, just like we talk about the lacrosse community is so tight. And everybody knows everybody. And I think the relationships are such a huge part of our sport. Um, so having those with Brian Kelly and um, just all the high school coaches over the year, Coach Shriver at BL and St. Paul's, Brock, um, just just so many great people who were so supportive of us building the program. Hey, we weren't getting the top player in Baltimore, but we get that like third guy on the first line or the second guy on the second line. 
and slowly start to build it up. And occasionally we'd snag a, a first line guy. And and that's why we were able to, to make our run over the course of the years um, at Ohio State. But you're right. Uh, there's nothing like homegrown talent. Andrew Bender, Brian Yance. I mean, just a, a number of guys to try to um, squeeze in and pull in to uh, to Ohio State. And, and it was fun to build. I mean, we had so many so much support. You know, when you have a athletic director that when you see, you know, not too often, but when you see him, Andy Geiger would always say, what do you need? You know, was never like, oh, you got to do this or you got to do that or this, that. You know, he knew we ran a, a solid program with good citizens and, and kids who worked hard, but he would always ask what you need. And, and I think that's a unique you know, I haven't worked for, for a lot of uh, ADs over the years. I think that's that's pretty special um, when you have a guy who, who understands that you're building it and asks what you need. And, and at a place like Ohio State or Maryland like yourself, I mean, there's resources, right? I mean, there's resources all over the place and, and money is not an issue. So I was fortunate to be at a program like that for 11 years um, and and be able to get the recruits and understand that, you know, I spent most of my time trying to shrink the school, um, saying it's not that big. Fifty-five thousand is not that big. Uh, <laughs> but with the size comes resources, and uh, we were fortunate enough to, uh, you know, get them on the field for the football games before, as the band came out, and you know, goosebumps would be popping, and uh, you know, and then at the fifty-yard line for the football games, and it's pretty special to uh, be a part of that and to be a part of the growth of of Ohio State Lacrosse. Let me. Uh... The one I can remember being on the NCA committee and you guys had had it was a year that there was like 10 or eight or 10 Midwest teams all had 12 wins, yeah. you know, and the committee. And I can just you, I can remember you saying he goes, I don't care where we go or who we play. We just want to be in <laughs> and you wound up being you wound up playing Cornell at Cornell that year. Yes. Yep. And, and that was an incredible win for Ohio State against a blue blood like Cornell. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think that, you know, we had put ourselves on the map by being in in 03 and 04 um, back to back years. And then, of course, that was the first two years of juniors and seniors with scholarship money. So we had low we had put all our chips to the middle of the table and said, we're going to buy some talent, kind of like the NFL free agency right now. Um, so we were just putting all our chips to the middle and, and we had two great years and then had to kind of reboot, rebuckle and um, got some really good talent, started to go uh, north of the border and bring in some Canadians. And Nick Myers was my assistant coach at the time. And so we went after it pretty hard. And uh, and then um, going up to Cornell, I remember we drove up there and it's about an eight and a half hour drive. And, uh, you know, we were playing at a, at a really high level. And we were so excited to be there and, and have a chance to compete again. And, and really, it was this this group's first time because 04 to 08, uh, we had been close a couple other times. But we, we finally got there. We walk out on the field and I, I kind of used the Hoosiers mentality. So I went to the field and they have the block C. I'll never forget this. Probably not my best moment as a coach. <laughs> um, so I go over to the Black Sea. The whole team's kind of wrapped around the Black Sea. And I pull out a string of tape. And I tape the Black Sea into a Black O. 
And I said, guys, this is our home field. And we practiced that way the whole time with the block O. But unfortunately, my bad moment as a coach, I left the tape on there for Cornell's practice. <laughs> coach Tamproni never let me live that down. <laughs> Thank God we were able to vacation together. We didn't know we were vacationing together, but we went to Bald Head Island off the coast of North Carolina, and we were there the same week after recruiting one summer, and that kind of cleared the air, but that was, that was something else. I was like, whoops, I'm sorry. <laughs> So you, you come back to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Place you played. Yep. Place your best friends were. Place you loved. You had to leave a place that was that gave you your first opportunity. And I know that was difficult for you because I know you really cared about Ohio State and the people there. They treated you great. When you took the Carolina job, wh what did you think? What were your concerns? And... What did you think you could get done? Well, I talked to a lot of people, um, you know, and I know there were some great candidates uh, in Richie Mead and, and Coach Zim and um, just a lot of great people that were up for the position as well. And, and um, you know, I was just thrilled to be able to be considered. Um, so coming down for the interview, meeting the people here, seeing some old friends that were still here. And that's the one unique thing about Carolina is that so many people stay. Um, you know, when, and, uh, which is pretty cool. So Ohio state really made it hard to leave. Um, you know, they, 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 we had some discussions and I think, um, the old basketball coach, somebody told me it was our sports information guy at the time, Pat Chun, who's the athletic director of Washington state right now. Um, but he said to me, he goes, he goes, Bresh, you know, if you leave, Ohio State, you'll be only the second coach ever to leave for another job from Ohio State. And the basketball coach who left for Maryland. Um, Gary Williams. Gary Williams was the only other guy to leave without being fired. Um, and I was like, really? Uh, I said, well, this is the only job that I would ever leave Ohio State for um, because Carolina meant so much to me. And I remember, you know, we had been through so much at, at Ohio State, losing our son, Michael, and um, we had all four of our daughters there as well, um, which were phenomenal. And we were so entrenched in the community. Um, and so it was not a me decision. It was a, a Julie and I decision. And, um, you know, I remember it was it was close to Father's Day and she we were thinking about it after we got offered the job. And uh you know, the, the, the plus part of it is she said she gave me a card and it said, I'm all in. Let's go. And um, and and what could I say? And, and it kind of gave us knowing what we had been through at Ohio State and losing our son gave us the courage to say, you know what, if we go to Carolina and it works out great, if, if we if it we go to Carolina and it's a bust you know what, we're going to survive. We've been through the worst. We're going to survive. And um, so that's the approach we took. And and uh, I, I tell you what, the last 14 years, I've given my heart and soul and our family has to this program. Uh, we love it. I felt like we could win a national championship here um, sooner rather than later. Uh, we were close um, a lot early. 
Um, I do remember, I got to tell you this story because you'll appreciate it. Um, one of my favorite people in the world is Dave Klarman because he tells it like it is. Um, and <laughs> one of the things that uh, happened is when we move, we have our house is full of boxes. I mean, full of boxes, literally in there, maybe 48 hours. Kids are running around. Julie's like emptying boxes. I'm emptying boxes. In walks Dave Klarman with a, a container of cookies. And the first thing he says to my wife is, hey, Brash, here's some cookies. He goes, hey, Julie, I wouldn't unpack that. You won't be here long. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. He told that to my wife, who just picked up, spent the last two weeks, three weeks kind of packing and moving. And sure enough, um, you know, we've now been here 14 years uh, and we love Dave and uh, play golf with him a bunch. And um, it uh, that was one thing that I'll never forget. That he said. <laughs> Um, I know it, you know, and you know, being at, at the highest level um, and fortunate to be at it, um, the expectations here, um, the challenges, but no one's going to put more pressure on on me than myself, right? And surrounding yourself with great people like Kevin Unterstein and um, Will Fox, who's my volunteer. I've had Chris Fifes and Brian Holman. And to have David Metzbauer, who, in my opinion, is a Hall of Fame coach, and I'm hoping the IMLCA puts him in the Hall of Fame because the guys won seven national championships. And sometimes we look at the, the, the you know, outside, hey, it's this head coach, that head coach, but the assistants who are longtime assistants are Hall of Famers too. And that's my plug for him is he's the best. He's Metsy. Um, as you know, he's worked the 205 for years, so successful with Coach T over the years. Um, and now here won a national championship with us and um, just as, as even keel as they come and um, one of the all-time best. But, you know, getting back to the point of just surrounding yourself with great people and, and having the opportunity to compete for a national championship and give back to the program that was so great to me uh, over the years is, is why I came back. And, and I knew it was going to be a challenge. I knew where we have passionate alums and friends of the program and and um you know the challenge now is try to get back and and do it again and you know last year we lost in the semis had a couple chances um won the acc championship but you know we're trying to get back to that that pinnacle again let's go to that year that you did win it was kind of interesting because didn't weren't the quarters at ohio state yeah it and was that had to be and uh, I, I don't know anybody that knew you that wasn't happy for you to go back to Ohio State there and get that yeah. win. Dave, I, I tell you, it was one of the greatest. Uh, you know, many people have said you should write a book on that season because it was so it was so filled with so many different things. It was so powerful. Um, first of all, we 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 battled and fought and scrapped our way to get into the tournament. Yeah. And the only reason we got in was beating number one Notre Dame. And you and I both know it's not easy in the last nine minutes of the game, down five to score seven straight goals to win the game yeah. here at Keenan Stadium to propel ourselves. They were one. We kind of propelled ourselves into the NCAA tournament. So we get in the uh, we get in the film room. We have a meeting. We're watching the big board. 
to see if we come up, our name comes up. Uh, I had known about an hour prior that we were we were in, um, but we end up going to Marquette. And I'm, when I tell you this, and you're in Florida right now, when I tell you this, that we hadn't worn a winter coat or a tube <laughs> on our head since January, <laughs> and we had to wear it as we went up, we come out of the uh, hotel that morning to head over for a 12 o'clock game and it is snowing sideways in the middle of May. And um, so that was new for us. And I told the coaches, I said, I'm bringing my, uh, I'm bringing my winter coat. I had, the, I had a practice plan in there from January, late January, <laughs> that was still in my pocket. Um, so we go up there and great atmosphere, Joe Amplo, phenomenal atmosphere. The place is going nuts. Um, soccer lacrosse facility, so it's really tight. The the student body is like blowing up. It, it was awesome, and we survived ten yep. nine, uh, win that one. And for the first time, Ohio State had hosted the quarters, and we happened to be in that bracket. And um, really powerful stuff here, Coach. And and uh, we fly out there and and we practice, you know, that morning. And then um, I grabbed Coach Myers, comes over, picks me up, and who's the head coach at Ohio State. And we drive out to the cemetery um, to visit my son, Michael. And we spent about 45 minutes out there, and um, which was really cool. And then um, that night, we have a team meal. And at the team meal, I, I usually toss in a Newt Rockney speech and kind of get them pumped up, fired up, and so forth. And I, I just stood up and I said, look, I said, I just want to thank you. Uh, thank you for bringing me back to Ohio so I could spend time with my son, Michael. And to me, that was the coolest thing. I started to cry and, and some of the guys were crying a little bit and, and we had a great meal, went off the bed. And in the morning, I usually give them, hey, here's the plan. Boom, boom. We're going to meet at the bus, do boom, head over to the stadium, et cetera. And nobody else says anything. And Patrick Kelly raised his hand and said, coach, can I say something? And I said, absolutely. And he stood up and he said, um, he said, coach, I mean, I'm getting chills right now just thinking about it. He said, coach, he said, um, all of us here, we love the fact that that you we had a chance to bring you back to Ohio State, he said. But um, we would not be in these seats if it wasn't for you bringing us to Carolina. He said, so for you today and for Julie and the girls and for Michael, he said, we're going to win this game and send you to your first Final Four. And I'm telling you, I have never seen a team perform to their ability than I saw that day um, just through the roof. Um, and, and we were up 11-2 late in the third quarter against Notre Dame and ended up you know, winning 13-9 and going to the Final Four. And, and so emotional in so many ways. The guys having their thumbs up in the air the whole time. Um, and just bringing us back, right? And it was just a, a really cool, cool moment for the team, for the staff, for Julie and I and the families. Um, that was awesome. And, and that week, I remember hearing the emotion of that quarterfinals could be the thing that drags Carolina down against Loyola, when in fact, it was like the pressure was off. And now we could rise and, and play you know, to our ability and beyond. And we jumped out on Loyola, as you know, and, and had a great first half there and, and kind of um, had an opportunity to, to go to the finals. And I'm telling you, it was 
and it just happened to be the 25 year reunion of the 91 team um, that that uh, that halftime. And I told them they had had a group chat and I was on it because I was an assistant at the time. And and uh, I didn't say a peep in the group chat the whole time. I just heard their plans the whole weekend and, and spending time together. And I remember the morning of the national championship, I sent an email to the group for the first time. And I said, we need you to be our, you know, 11th man. And, and when you guys get introduced, be at halftime in a tunnel so we can come out through it and just get that energy for that second half of, to play a phenomenal Maryland team, as you know. And, you know, we played beyond our means um, and played our tails off. And when moments were like it could be a three goal game, it was two goals three times in that game where we were jumped out to a 4-0 lead. And they kept coming and then they took a two goal lead and we cut it to one and two goal lead. We tied it and then they were up nine, seven and we were man down um, and a deflected shot went up, went down the other end. We ended up scoring three straight goals to go up 10 to nine. Um, And then, uh, you know, they go up 13, 11 with under five to go in the game. Uh, We get a stop. I wasn't sure they were going to shoot it um down at that end or at least maybe missed the cage a couple times no shot clock back then um you know i i think us getting out and i'm kind of convinced of this us getting out to a four goal lead kind of sped up the game uh last time we played him it was like uh 11 7 you know it was a very tight low scoring game um so it kind of sped up the game for them and we played at a different pace um but it was 13-11, and I think that pace was still there to play a little bit faster. And they took a shot. We saved it. They fouled. And Patrick Kelly, who had turned the ball over when we were down 13-11, he's a guy who comes in on man up, hits Luke Goldstock in the middle to cut it to one, and then comes in out of the box after one of the few faceoffs we won, went right down the alley and stuck it to tie the game. And then, you know, at the end of the game, the penalty called and, oh, goodness, what's going to happen now? And uh, and I got to tell you one other story about the 25-year reunion piece. Um, the only player missing was Steve Muir, uh, who passed away from lung cancer. Um, three little kids, very sad story. Um, didn't, you know, had cancer for maybe three to four months and passed away. Only player missing from that group uh at that halftime so we had polos made with the number 32 on the arm um to remember him for the entire group and uh so the the story goes we scored in overtime on man up in the 32nd minute of the second half 32 seconds off the man up on our 32nd shot of the game um, so not only did we have thumbs up Mike, but we had Steve Muir and his 32, like diving in from above. Um, and, and to, you know, it takes, it takes more than just your natural ability to win a national championship. And, uh, for us to, to close it out, like we did, um, was just, um, you know, a miracle. It was incredible. It was an incredible, incredible run there, because as you said, that team was probably out for most of the season yep. until the last game. And yep. uh, and that's why you just keep on coaching. You know, you that's just it. keep on coaching. I can remember asking Gary Williams, you know, they had had 
basketball in Maryland. I, as they, they had a great run in 01 and 02. And I said, Coach, what was the difference? He goes, uh, we were playing good at the end of the year. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. And, and, and that was how he felt. Yeah. So now, you you know, last year, I, I thought your team, you had a really good team. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, and 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 the, the teams that were left in the final four were terrific, yeah. you know, uh, and to Maryland's, you know, as disappointed as Maryland was, they were an outstanding team. Carolina was an outstanding team, you know, uh, and and Virginia, obviously, has been, <clears throat> been on a little bit of a run. Yeah. As a fan, I think the game is in a great place. I think the the players are the 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 shot clock has helped getting up and down. You're seeing riding. You're seeing ground balls. I I, I you know you don't want to make changes to change, but right now this game is in a tremendous place. It really is, and and I gotta uh, credit the the rules committee and the coaches, the IMLCA group for just having the conversations and having the the greater vision, right, to see how we can improve it. And to your point, not making changes for the sake of change, but making changes to make the game even better than it is. And to have the shot clock era, to make a tweak to the shot clock to now 60 seconds on the restart. And that may continue to adjust as we move forward, um, kind of keeping the face off X and not jumping to conclusions there on, on hey, we got to do this, got to do that. I think it's really special. Could not agree more. Um, the NCAA lacrosse uh, championships are phenomenal. The excitement. I mean, you see March Madness right now. I mean, it is May Madness come come tournament time for lacrosse. And uh, it's really special for the student athletes to be a part of it. I love the fact that the PLL, you know, just signed with ESPN and now they have some great coverage going on there. And um, so the sport in general, um, we can stay in it for years and years to come, but it, it is, uh, it, it's pretty powerful to see the, the fans that show up, the TV coverage, the media coverage, social media, et cetera. And the athletes that are playing are just special. Um, a lot of them are, are, you know, football guys who could go to division one football, but you know, they're coming and playing lacrosse. And, and I think to your point last year in the final four, Man, there were some phenomenal athletes playing uh, all across the board with Maryland, Duke, and Carolina, Virginia, and um, and then with the extra year, right? I mean, we had our entire midfield back, fifth-year guys, all fifth-year guys, um, all All-Americans. Um, so replacing them this year is, you know, continues to be a work in progress. And uh, but also in the on the plus side, having Chris Gray back as a two-time finalist for his fifth year, and he's getting his MBA. Um, so with the fifth year comes the opportunities for kids to expand their academic horizons. And, and, uh, and, you know, it's not a bad thing to spend an extra year in Chapel Hill. I'm 14 years in Chapel Hill plus yeah. my, plus my six between four, four <laughs> and a, so I'm like 20 years, two decades in this place is phenomenal. So when you look at your team this year, mm -hmm. what do you think? where if you could improve in one area that would really help you where would it be you know I would say probably the defensive end continues to be a work in progress um, you can't teach experience um, you're just trying to gain it over time we've got, had a lot of guys play uh, I would say close to eight close defensemen have played at one point this season 
um, due to injury or just shuffling and trying to get that um, together. It's a couple of our freshmen are playing long stick midi right now and doing a really good job. Um, our short sticks are arguably one of the best groups in the country. Um, and our goalie, Colin Krieg, is excellent. Um, so I think our close D continues to be a work in progress. We're moving guys, as I mentioned, around to find that fit. Love the way we ride. Love the way we face off. Um, love the way we, uh, you know, offensively, the middies have come so far over the course of uh, the first, you know, eight games. Um, you know, having to replace five of our top six guys. Um, you know, we have some young guys mixed in, a guy like Cole Herbert stepping up, uh, Lance Tillman's playing some midfield, um, you know, uh, Antonio DeMarco had three points last game, um, the Schertzinger twins. I mean, we got a lot of guys who are contributing um, and gaining valuable experience as we start to head into ACC play uh, full tilt, um, five of our last six games. Um, and then our attack is a veteran group in in Jacob Kelly, Nikki Solomon, and and Chris Gray. So, um, and our face-off unit right in the middle of the field, just a terrific group. So I, I think we're moving in a great direction. We're halfway through the year, and and um, you know I think we've made some major strides. Well, it's obvious they're going to keep playing, and they play hard for the colors of the uniform, and they play hard for their coach. And uh, you, Joe Bresci, you were a Hall of Fame player, you're a Hall of Fame coach, and you're a Hall of Fame person. And I really want to thank you for doing this today. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing your stories, and I look forward to watching your team play in the spring, Coach. Coach, it's an honor to be on your uh, podcast here. And and um, I, I got to say, man, you, you were so influential in my um, college career and, and certainly in my coaching career. And I'm forever grateful for your mentorship throughout the years. And um, you know, it's just an honor for me to be on this with you and, and to spend some time with you and to see your smiling face. So yeah. thank you. Hopefully we see each other in person soon. Yes. Best of luck, coach. Thank you. See you later. Bye-bye.